I'm delighted today to be joined uh, by the three founder members of Procure for Peace, uh, Sami Samokorpi, um, uh, Rohit Sath and Lance Younger. Um, so guys, delighted to have you here today. It's incredibly pertinent. Everything that's been happening in the world the last four weeks, hugely sad, uh, but, but equally marvellous that you can mobilise so quickly to produce something like Procure for, uh, Procure for Peace. So I guess my first question is, who's behind the creation of Procure for Peace and, and what, what are the organization's aims? And I'm, I'm, saying, I'm asking that of you, Sammy. Thanks, thanks, Rupert, and, and great pleasure to be speaking here today. Um, I, I can tell how it started from my perspective, but as, as you'll hear later on, there's, let's say, multiple different stories leading to, to Procure for Peace. But from my point of view, how it started, that obviously when the, when the Putin's administration started attack on Ukraine, I think it was on Thursday, we at CIO sort of figured out whether we want to kind of go public with our view that this is a horrible attack, and if so, what is the actual wording? Quite quickly, we decided that this our moral imperative at CIO could kind of make that statement, and we did that. That I guess on Friday. At that point, I was basically contacted by uh, a Ukrainian uh, in Finland who was leading sort of the Ukrainians in Finland organization and asking how CIO could help. Uh, in the in the Ukrainian effort to to in Finland to help Ukraine, and, and sort of long story short, quite quickly, I realized that uh, there's a really kind of challenge how to bring the Kurds from Helsinki to to Ukraine to support Ukrainian army and also the different volunteer organizations. And I did realize that through my connections to let's say Finnish procurement and logistics community, I would probably be well positioned to help. And in a matter of a few hours, I had like 10 different offers from logistics companies. Yes, we can bring the goods from, from, from Helsinki to Kiev. And over the weekend, we established a logistic corridor from Helsinki to Ukraine. And, and that was sort of initial success where I, I realized that, that the procurement and logistics community is super well positioned to help Ukrainians um, because there is the kind of procurement expertise, but there's also connections to logistics companies, but also companies supply medical equipment, a lot of different kind of goods. So, so initially, sort of was was happy that something happened on the Finland, but then also started to think, okay, how can we do this in more scalable way? Because of course, this shouldn't happen only in Finland, but also also in other areas. And how could we really mobilize the global procurement community? to help Ukraine with the kind of unique capabilities that procurement has. So I guess I was thinking that on, on, on my side, but then also Rohit, Rohit reached to me and Lance, pretty much having the same thought process. And that's how we kind of joined our forces and realized, okay, we need to kind of create something out of that. Let's give it a chance. And that's how we established a Procure for Peace. And this is a volunteer organization with the with a unique mission to try to mobilize the global procurement community to help at least Ukraine in this case, uh, in their efforts. Fantastic, fantastic. Lance and Rohit, have you got anything to to add uh, to to that? No, I mean, I, I, you know, for, for me, it was it was it's been very fast and it continues to be very fast. Um, it, it's funny because right at the same time as somebody was kind of posting um, and getting things mobilised, we we picked up a little bit of that through the ProcureTech network, and it's something which we. I think it was a quote that you put out, Samuel, and we actually published it on our weekly signals and it, as the headline. Um, and it was then that Rohit actually pinged us both over the weekend and said, um, I don't know if you even read it, Rohit, but, um, but, but one way or another, there was a bit of ser serendipity there where he pinged us and said, guys, do you fancy you know, having a conversation about whatever we can do? 
Um, and so for three different reasons, we kind of got together on the over the weekend and that's where, where things got going. But um, yeah, we can, we, we can talk a little bit about what, what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, the key thing being that link in, as Samuel mentioned, in, in directly into Ukraine and, and also, you know, Rohit kind of you know, had direct links into U Ukraine as well, which again might have been a little bit of the kernel of where things came from, Rohit. Yeah, it's a very dear friend of mine since, uh, what is it, 2002. So when I heard the news, you know, his face kind of flashed in my, you know, in my head. And I just about that time, I saw the post from uh, Sami and, you know, uh, Sami and I, we don't even know each other. I just saw his post on LinkedIn. I saw Lancet shared it. I said, okay, let's just get together. My first view was, let's get together to help Voloja, who is the friend of mine. And then, you know, that was sort of the inspiration. And um, yeah. we roped him in to this initiative. And he's kind of our eyes, ears uh, on the ground, yeah. uh, so to say. I think it's funny, though. It's, it's funny. Um, we roped him in. I think quietly he's roped, roped us in because he was very, he's been yeah, fantastic. And, you know, as uh, Alina and Olga and Zoya. Um, basically, who are all Ukrainians on the grounds, and from day one, you know, there was a stark reality for for us all um, of what we're seeing on the television. But it was actually we were living with it in in real life. Um, and but without that, to be quite honest, you know, we wouldn't be doing doing what we're doing now um, with with that team on the ground. So um, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the reality. I mean, it's it struck a lot of us watching these newscasts about how uh, I think, frankly, impressive, stoical, um, creative, innovative that the Ukrainians have been. Um, how passionate they are as well. Um, mm. But what are some of the challenges that that you have seen being faced by this, and how is Procure for Peace helping? I can start and lancerate this this compliment. I think it's sort of the 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 one reflection we've had several times and still are having that the the kind of wartime context is quite different from your let's say normal procurement context in different ways. First of all, uh, the 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 time to market is really essential. Mm. It was in the beginning, but still nobody knows what will happen next day, next week, next month, and so forth. So, so really, we need to manage two time frames. We need to manage the time frame of, let's say, helping now and here, but at the same trying to kind of build something scalable and sustainable for the longer term. And it's 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 almost like a paradox. If we don't get some help now, it may be that there's no reason to help in a month's time or in in a in a six months time. But at the same time, if we just focus on now and here, we are go never going to make it the kind of more sustainable and scalable operation. So I think this 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 kind of managing different time horizons is difficult. Secondly, the unpredictability is kind of how how you can deliver the goods to different locations. It, it changes on a daily basis, so so you can't plan for really kind of very structured stuff. It's, it's it needs to be super agile compared to perhaps what the traditional uh, procurement has been. Then at the same time, I think some of the your typical procurement sort of challenges are there. You have a you have you demand, you need to find the suppliers, you need to make sure there's no profiteering in the place, you need to organize logistics and so forth. So in, in really high level, it's the same stuff, just in very different time-critical context that you have. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and Rohit, have you uh, got anything to add yeah. on that? Yeah, just to sort of segue from where uh, Sammy left it was that the biggest challenge is to operationalize. So there is the demand, there is the supply. So there is, intuitively speaking, there is a match, but there are a lot of operational steps that need to be executed in order to sort of convert that match into a marriage, so to say, right? And that that is probably the most difficult part uh, but, you know, um, having the right kind of support on the ground and having an extremely sort of vibrant, connected procurement community, we're able to kind of get that um, get that going. Mm. And I think, that, I mean, that feeds into kind of the three things that we're kind of focused on, you know, at the, at the very basic level. It, yeah, procure for pieces kind of a platform it's a website and it's a community on linkedin and on facebook um that basically gives us a, a, a base to collaborate from and then on on top of that you know we're basically meeting individual needs that are coming from uh organ organizations um whether it's you know medical supplies or or food or whatever it might be and then the third thing we're providing is is actual people. It's it, um, it's manpower, whether it's local Ukrainians with procurement expertise or people from across, you know, the the, the planet with procurement expertise or software um, to be able to augment um, what's happening there. Um, because as well, I, I think one of the things that's quite important to remember is that you know we're focused primarily on on non-governmental organisations or CSOs, as, you know, as they're called. You know, very early days, we kind of had conversations with corporates and also with the public sector uh, and NGOs. And it was very clear that it was the NGOs and CSOs that didn't have the capacity or the visibility or the skills to be able to meet the needs. Um, most of these organizations either don't have procurement or if they do have procurement, they're not experienced in, in all the categories they're buying or in the, the volumes that they're buying them in as well. Um, so, so anyway, those those are the kind of the three things that we're, we're we've kind of mobilised and to focus just on the kind of the the NGOs and CSOs as well. Um, yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. I mean, clearly, procurement and supply chain, as as I as, as Rohit and I were discussing before beforehand, has never been higher on the agenda. You know, it's uh, to Rohit's board meeting later today. It's top of the agenda. Um, and uh, that that has been a, 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 in many instances a function of of, of the pandemic. Um, but how has the war impacted supply chains from what you're seeing? I I, I can take that. Um, see, I, I think if we, you know, I hate to do this, but if you was to if you were to put this uh, put the war in the context of the global supply chain crisis that's been running for the last two years, I would say that the impact on supply chain of this war is limited in the big scheme of things. Okay, simply because the supply chain communities has already gotten used to something that is uh, having a lot, uh, you know, sort of global implications. Right? There are certain industries that are, you know, facing the heat a lot more. So, you know, if you're a grocer or if you're a food business, you know, uh, FMCG company, which is buying a lot of grain, oil, 
those businesses are obviously severely hit. But if you were to look at the typical automotive tier one supplier or an automotive OEM, um, the impact is far less in comparison to what they've dealt with over the last 24 months. Um, the, the bigger impact in my view has been, you know, the explosion in the commodity prices and the volatility that has sort of triggered. And the big question is how is that going to affect consumer confidence? And how does that consumer confidence then result into change in, you know, the buying behavior uh, of the users? I think that is the bigger question uh, that needs to be addressed because over the last 24 months, a tremendous amount of inventory has been built up, not just in industries and companies, but also in people's homes. So there is a bullwhip which is already in play. And now during this bullwhip, if the consumer sort of reacts in an extremely um, you know, cautious manner, i.e. pulls back the spending habit, you're going to have a tremendous amount of inventory that is going to be in the pipeline in addition to what is already there. And this can sort of, you know, trigger um, an issue that goes beyond supply chain, but then really starts to hit cash flows of businesses. Mm, so that's yeah. kind of my view. Yeah, and I, and I think I think that bullwhip is a good good expression is that because in reality, I think there's some supply chains that it's very, very evident to where the, the problems are going to be. Um, and and they may be based upon industries or they may just be based upon your footprint, you know, um, you know, because you may be an automotive manufacturer that does have supply coming out of particular areas. I think some of the bigger issues that are going to face us are, are, are trade wars, the, the effect of uh, sanctions um, and the, the, the ripple, the ripple effect uh, from that, because now that that is, it's fundamentally changed. You know, um, the move by Russia has fundamentally changed things um, uh, for the for for the next decade um, at, at least. Um, so um, so yes, it's um, things are already changing, um, and it's just magnified that. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, some of the things that 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 we're we're doing as a as a as a as an industry or a function are are. are and we've kind of put into practice during the, you know, during COVID uh, are starting to come come into play now. Um, you know, if you look at one of the one of the kind of partnerships we spun up um, is between um, Scout B and Barrow um, uh, to help us as well. You know, you know, five years ago, you know, Scout B was just a very very small business and. And and now you know they they put their hands up to say how can we help, yeah. Barrow put their hands up how can we help, and basically they're working together now to meet some of the supply market insights that we need um, across um, across particular categories of spend. So you've got these collaborative networks being being formed. You know, yes, they they still have to be agile and they still sort of rel relatively immature against the need. But but they are things that are being put in place, um, as Rohit said, to enable us to be able to manage uh, the supply chain um, as well. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. And is there anything that you, the three of you, think that can be done to help procurement professionals, particularly, I guess, who might be affected or displaced by the war? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's happening in a couple of different ways. I mean, so for, so for example, you know, we started with sort of um, four people in Ukraine who who basically um, were the kind of core team that have kept kept everything real, to be quite honest. Um, and they've created a network of over forty people in Ukraine that have either been displaced from their roles or got time to volunteer, um, and effectively they're then helping us locally with buying activities. Um, beyond that, you know, obviously people have been displaced, and and we've we've had a few people on the LinkedIn group basically say, look, we've got a need for a, a procurement person or a developer um, of procurement software. Um, you know, we you know, you know, contact us. We can kind of you know give you work. You know, people like Circular did that on the development side, and others and uh, Solvent is a consultancy that's basically done it as well. And there are others as well. There isn't, as as far as I know at the minute, there isn't a dedicated procurement headhunter, and maybe it's you, um, <laughs> that's basically saying we can we can help uh, you know, place people um, just just yet. But those are the things that we're doing um, so, so far um, to try and uh, connect connect people um, to to roles and, and activities. I guess for many of us, we don't want to do anything that's too knee-jerk because the country is going to need its best and brightest people yeah. to 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 rebuild. And we all remain very optimistic that, yeah, you know, whatever is happening now won't be happening in the months to come. Um, yeah. uh, but certainly, um, the longer it goes on, the more we're going to have to be thoughtful about the the solutions that we can offer. And certainly, to your point, Lance, that would be something we would we would hugely want to help with. Yeah. Um, I guess. My final question is is going to be for, for you, Samelli, in in the first instance. But how can people how can people support Procure for Peace achieve its goals? I think that uh, all procurement professionals out there, I think the call to action is to is to join the LinkedIn group that we have, Procure for Peace. So Procure number four peace dot org is the website. And, and then the LinkedIn group as well. That's the way you can sort of expose and, and, and make yourself available. Uh, then specifically, if you have any expertise in, in protective equipment, medical supplies kind of categories, they are in, in high demand. And or if you are just generic procurement professional, but you have, let's say, some time in your hands right now so that you can volunteer into into sort of project on, let's say, a couple of days a week or full time basis, such sort of uh, contributions are definitely, definitely helpful. Also, any super well-connected procurement professional, even if you don't volunteer, let's say, on a full-time basis, if you have some connections to especially in these certain categories, uh, medical supplies, product equipment, so forth, food as well, increasingly, uh, the, the rebuilding equipment will, will come later on. I think kind of volunteering, uh, announcing yourself in the group is the way to go. Hmm. Yeah, excellent. And anything else, Lance or Rohit, you'd like to footnote? That no, Super small one is is that we know that people are 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 basically um, they've got their own individual initiatives going on or solutions they're building. So you know there's a group that have built a platform which is a spin-off from Ariba, which is dedicated to buying medical supplies. So you know as these new platforms for helping um, become available, just continuing to let let us know about them, and then we'll effectively can help to disseminate it. And, and connect it um, so they get used in the best way possible. Because I think that's that's a, a big part of what you know we need to do is is to collaborate and connect. Um, and there are vehicles and channels to do that. Either it's through us or there is a, an interagency 
procurement group, which is a, a group which is set up on behalf of a lot of the NGOs um, which we're connected into, and there's others that as well. So as people are developing ideas um, or solutions, just to share them with us and we'll, we'll make sure that uh, as many people are, are aware of them as, and are using them as possible as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you, all of you, Sammy, Lance and uh, Rohit. Thank you for one, bringing to life what Procure for Peace um, is doing. Um, I think it's, uh, it, it's been very startling how people have mobilized right across the world and how in the main people around the world are united in their, their thinking. Um, uh, but, uh, but we will do everything we can to disseminate that message. And, and thank you for, for joining me today to discuss it further.